0: Hello, welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. My name is Danny McCarthy. In this podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Tracy Freck, who is the Director of the Systemic Sclerosis Clinic at the University of Utah Hospital and the Director of Clinical Trials for the Division of Rheumatology. Today, we'll be talking about how to create a more complex, complete approach to diagnosing and treating systemic sclerosis. Welcome, Dr. Freck. Thank you so much for talking with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, I think right off the bat, what would be helpful for everyone is kind of understanding what is systemic sclerosis.
1: Absolutely. So systemic sclerosis is an autoimmune disease, which means the body is attacking itself um, for no good reason that affects the small blood vessels in the body, and the blood vessels react to this immune response with fibrosis or scarring. And so systemic sclerosis is oftentimes called scleroderma because the first place patients may notice the scarring is in their skin. And so they can present with having hardening of their skin that usually marches its way up from the fingers or lower extremities up towards the center of the body. Additionally, while it's affecting the skin, the same process may be occurring at different rates in different internal organs, like the lungs um, and the vessels in the heart. And how
0: long have you been involved in this space? Has this been a, a center or a nexus of your work for a very long
1: time? Yes, so we started our scleroderma center in 2005, um, and in Utah, we're a five-state referral uh, um, area, so we quickly grew our clinic, um, and we currently treat over uh, 700 patients with a diagnosis of systemic sclerosis who come for regular care.
0: And so you are a physician who deals with um, systemic sclerosis a lot, so can you tell us I mean, obviously, from your perspective as a physician rather than someone who has it, but what does it look like for people living with SSC? How are they affected by this on a daily basis?
1: Yes, and I think that the description of the disease can really highlight that it can be very scary for patients. So when patients are first diagnosed, they don't necessarily know what to expect. Every patient is different. So the rate of of scarring or fibrosis can be very different between um, patients with the same diagnosis. And so I do think one of the large components of being diagnosed with systemic sclerosis or scleroderma is trying to understand what to worry about and how to monitor the disease process in their own body. Um, most patients will come to the clinic for a first-time visit and be seen relatively quickly after that first visit just to be able to answer that question, how are you doing and how is this progressing and how is this changing your life? Most patients um, will also need lots of tests, screening on the in- of the internal organs to help guide that dis- discussion on where is the disease in their um, body and how are we going to come up with a treatment plan to effectively treat where the scarring or inflammation is. And so for each patient, um, a good communication with their provider and an understanding of what screening tests they've had and what those test results mean is essential to be able to tell them what to expect. Um, I think all of our patients are very brave and um, really um, are are, um, focused on every aspect of their health, appropriately so, so that they can live with this disease as best as they can with um, the different aspects of organ involvement.
0: So when symptoms start to present themselves, what is often the timeline for diagnosis, and is it sometimes mistaken for other things?
1: That's a fantastic question because the earliest symptom usually is something called Raynaud's phenomenon. And this is where the fingers under cold temperature or stress change colors. And so patients may look down and their hands um, change um, white, uh, blue, red and blue and these color changes in the, the fingers um, Uh, indicate that the blood vessel is spasming. This is particularly tricky because in about 8% of the general population, um, patients can have some of these symptoms, and so they may or may not, even if they've sought medical attention, get noticed or um, effectively um, uh, referred to rheumatology. So the next step, usually, if you have this Renodes phenomenon where your fingers are changing, uh, triphasic color change, and and it sometimes is associated with some pain, usually the second symptom Mm -hmm. is puffy hands. So the patient um, who presents with swelling of their hands may be misdiagnosed as rheumatoid arthritis or a different type of inflammatory arthritis, and that's a common story for patients that they were originally told that they had um, a different type of autoimmune disease. One of the most effective Mm -hmm. tools for assessing patients is something called caplaroscopy, where the physician will take either a microscope or a video caplaroscopy device and look at the blood vessels at the base of the fingers to try to get an idea, are the blood vessels um, uh, upset? So there can be um, dilation of those blood vessels or micro hemorrhage or dropout of, of vessels and that can be a very effective clue that we're actually dealing with systemic sclerosis rather than another autoimmune disease. It's usually though the, the kind of the third step in the process with the fibrosis or scarring where then um, uh, most folks would be able to, to recognize this as scleroderma or systemic sclerosis and the appropriate diagnosis is made. If someone has Raynaud's phenomenon and these capillaroscopy abnormalities, blood tests at that point can be incredibly effective for looking for scleroderma specific autoantibodies or those blood tests that tell us that the immune system is attacking cells for no good reason. And there's some classification criteria that can help guide the rheumatologist that this is the most likely diagnosis.
0: And so I think it'd be useful to kind of take a step back and understand the scope of this. So how many people are affected every year? Can you give us kind of a broader view to help our listeners understand?
1: Absolutely. So um is, uh, is considered a rare disease. Um, the the uh, prevalence really does vary per. Per different populations you read, and, and you, and that's I think one of the hardest things is when you look up, you see a prevalence from 50 to 300 per million, which is a big scope of, of, of well, how many how <laughs> many cases of scurdim really exist, and that's a really important point I think in, in that we're as we're uh, our, um, general rheumatologists are getting better educated to really look for this disease with catheteroscopy and making sure we're sending scleroderma-specific autoantibodies in patients with Raynodes and puffy fingers, we're catching more cases of scleroderma. And that actually is a good thing. So we do believe if we catch patients earlier um, and put them on effective treatments, they do better. And this is a really big shift in thinking because before when you were diagnosed with scleroderma, we would try a lot of different drugs that were used in other autoimmune diseases and they didn't work and so the poor patients would come to clinic um, every three, six months and we just gather more and more information that their skin was scarring worse or that their vasculature um, on caplaroscopy or um, physical exam with digital ulcers looked worse. But we didn't necessarily have a lot of effective therapeutics or advice to give patients for prevention. And that's been a real shift in thinking. Um, to, to point a, look for the diagnosis and B, really try to understand how to better visodilate, how our drugs that um, change the immune system Systems function act, are, are acting, and how to best educate our patients on what um, stability means um, and, and uh, what our test screening tests mean so that our patients are empowered to be able to. Um, understand the disease course in, the, in themselves so um, really a big you know sh- a, a real shift in that thinking so to speak where this, this disease that we didn't have great options for and we used to just collect data and now it's shifted into really um, proactively treating and proactively um, showing improvements with function and overall well-being uh, in, in uh, all patients with systemic sclerosis.
0: And so you mentioned um, treatment options before, and I think that kind of leads us to what the meat of our conversation is. So what do treatment options for SSC look like right now?
1: absolutely. So um, right now, um, treatments really are directed at those end organ manifestations that I I, uh, referenced. And so to to start with skin fibrosis, since since it's called scleroderma, um, if we're targeting skin thickening, um, oftentimes we will still start with methotrexate, because as uh, you know, we we talked about, we just borrowed from other um, diseases that the rheumatologist took care of, methotrexate's first line for rheumatoid arthritis. And so we would try that in our scleroderma, a patient's uh, first line to see if it would soften skin. If the patient, however, also had concurrent lung fibrosis, that is not a great first choice uh, agent um, because it does not treat lung fibrosis. And so if someone has both skin, uh, and lung involvement, there's been data generated from the scleroderma lung studies 1 and 2 and then scleroderma lung 3 is currently enrolling and ongoing. And so, we um, um, In scleroderma uh, lung study 1, cytoxin versus placebo was used and cytoxin, um, which is a medication with many side effects including sterility in, in young women, um, was shown to stabilize lung function. In scleroderma lung study 2, cytoxin and celsept were shown to be equivalent, incelcept had, or mycophenolate Mofetil had less side effects, so that was a good improvement, and now is, generally speaking, chosen by physicians as first-line treatment to, uh, for skin thickening uh, con- with concurrent lung involvement. And then the scleroderma lung study three is currently looking at the, the combination of cell and profanidone. But again, that, that, um, that combination is in, in trial and, and again, really targeting the lung though we're, we're primarily talking about skin. And I think that really highlights where most trials are either, um, their primary outcome is either skin or lung but we do believe medications that we're using may affect both of of those organs. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the best, um, you know, know, I I talked a little bit about prevention, Um, the best classes Mm -hmm. of drugs that came into scleroderma space um, would be, um, well, first uh, ACE inhibitors for scleroderma renal crisis. That was really um, the Um, uh, earth-changing for the the scleroderma community in that when someone had a scleroderma renal crisis where their blood pressure um, went up very uh, elevated, um, it was uh, high mortality for our patients. And there was work that showed an ACE inhibitor started early, could prevent dialysis in our patients. So that was very exciting as part of that education part, teaching our scleroderma patients to, to monitor their blood pressure and know um, how to get in touch with their doctor and get those necessary labs so that they get appropriately started on the ACE inhibitor early. But along the same space, blood vessel medications, um, pulmonary hypertension medications um, for scleroderma have been effective not just for the pulmonary hypertension for which they have the approval, but also for renaud's phenomenon, which is that triphesic color change that virtually all patients have, and also for healing of digital ulcers um, and perhaps prevention of new digital ulcers. And these medications, um, uh, visa dilate the the blood vessels with uh, thought process if you restore um, um, good blood flow to the different organs that there is Mm -hmm. subsequently less fibrosis and or immune dysfunction
0: and so are we shifting into more of a preventative um, method of treatment what's kind of changing in the space
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right, is we're really, um, one important change that's been globally done in healthcare is capturing the patient's voice, and so I think one of the keys that build changes I've seen in the last five years are patient partners. So having patients tell us what they think is important for the research agenda has been pivotal in um, how we rethink trials and how we um, design questionnaires on asking patients what's important to them, Um, listening to patients say I really don't want to be on a placebo, I want background therapy if I'm going to be in a clinical trial is, is in a really important um, I think aspect of, of how the whole field has shifted um, and, and with regards to that, patient's don't want to just do pulmonary function tests every six months. They wanna know what they can do to potentially improve their pulmonary function. So the whole concept of is, is pulmonary rehabilitation a good option for this patient? Um, those, those ideas of getting our patients exercising, communicating back to us what helps them, have been really um, valuable in, in how we um, manage uh, our patients' uh, disease. I also would say, in, in addition to the patient's voice, um, working with um, wound care, occupational therapy for mobility, um, having more ancillary services really play a role in the scleroderma clinic have really changed outcomes and have improved, I think, our clinical um, Uh, our clinical outcomes as we um, really try to get the expertise in many different fields to be interested in systemic sclerosis and really ask them what in your field, what would you do for this patient? And we've had some really kind of clever Mm -hmm. and and, um, helpful feedback from our ancillary services.
0: On the kind of physician side, are there efforts to, educate physicians about like uh, systemic sclerosis? Is there, you know, are there any sources that you can direct people to? Um,
1: Absolutely. And I I think that's a really important point because a lot of the guidelines that you would um, pull off of PubMed, um, sometimes uh, practicing physicians in the United States don't have access to those therapeutics necessarily. Um, They're not FDA approved. And so I really think having, um, particularly in the U.S., Um, U.S.-based resources so people can understand what they can and cannot get for their patients. Um, There's a new um, uh, website that will go live called totalssc.com, which is really Mm -hmm. designed to try to help um, rheumatologists rethink how we approach scleroderma. And so um, we really want to shift that mind frame back, back in 2005 when I started seeing that we just really wanted to see these patients um, all in one center so that we could really have uh, an, a unified approach on how we approach them. And, and I had several referring community rheumatologists who said, you know, my patient really doesn't want to drive for six hours just to participate in a mm. registry. And so now it's exciting. We, we now have a lot more clinical trials options uh, at the d- scleroderma um, center. And then we also you know have the, the totalssc.com is taking um, scleroderma expertise from these centers and trying to get those tools and those that information available um, at the click of a button for community rheumatologist so they can really see the changes in the field and what's going to become available and how how we approach these patients and why it really is very important to do screening and um, proactively um, uh, treat our patients for prevention.
0: And so does the website deal and the education program, does that deal everything from clinical care into clinical trials? Yeah,
1: the the scope is a, a general overview on what scleroderma is it really um uh, mm-hmm. shows Uh, both providers and patients as well that this is no longer a disease of end organ fibrosis that's irreversible but really um, a natural history of disease where the blood vessels are um, not communicating with the surrounding connective tissue and scar tissue is being placed in in different organs and on the skin and really with the hope with new therapeutics that this actually is reversible and the importance of perfusion and the importance of of a full and comprehensive physical exam and review system that we want to um, understand where the disease is affecting each patient and every organ and so on a very broad uh, basis it can take uh, a patient through the different organs that are involved and it highlights I do believe the value of at least once touching base with a, a systemic sclerosis center of excellence or um, a center that does clinical trials because patients may have options that are available for them and in even a lot even registries patients may want to and participate in registries now that we have um, perhaps effective therapeutics and/or interventions that will improve their outcomes. because patients very much want to be part of the movement of showing this is not an end-stage organ um, disease that, that has high morbidity or mortality. And instead of rethinking of that, of let's, for the first time in, in history, understand the natural history with more effective therapeutics and interventions.
0: Why do you think that Sploderma has been kind of misunderstood before now?
1: I think perhaps maybe twofold. I think um, uh, historically we um, usually start in in discovery work uh, in the lab and um, in animal models. And I, and I believe in systemic sclerosis patients um, because that, that um, vasculopathy to fibrosis um, and immune dysregula- dysregulation occurs sometimes very slowly over many, many years, that's not very well recapitulated in an, in an animal model. And um, I believe there's been a real shift to reverse translation now, where we start to learn from our patients and in things that are effective for them. And now, once we have an understanding of the pathophysiology in the human, you can do you can bring that back to the lab and, and test pathways and try to understand um, the mechanism. But we've really shifted. Th- thinking in science, more to um, what we understand in the clinical space and what is helping our patients and what patients are telling us is very effective for how they feel. And, and we're, we're listening, again, back to the patient's voice a lot, Better, um, and I and I think where there's a lot more team science now. Where um, and it, that's how it is in our, in our center. We have a wonderful basic scientist. We have a wonderful um, we have wonderful mice people, and I have lots and lots of patients. And we work together to try to understand what I'm seeing in the clinical space, how that would be brought into the laboratory science. So um, I do I do think we're seeing um, a shift in how science is is done, um, but I also think. Uh, Previously, we really just borrowed from the other effective therapeutics in rheumatology um, without maybe thinking through whether or not they would work. (laughs) Um, So, so again, you know, (laughs) things that work in lupus and rheumatoid arthritis may not work in systemic sources now that we really are focused on this natural history of vasculopathy, fibrosis, and immune dysfunction.
0: What are the questions or are there questions that patients should be asking their doctors in this sclerosis space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the real key is to empower our patients, and so I think the most important part of taking care of a patient is is to make sure they understand what they have, and where it is in their body. And so I, I think the really important question for for a patient is if they're on a treatment, why they're on that treatment, and what the expectation of the of um, what expectation they should have from receiving that treatment. And so usually that very first visit I'll draw out for the patient and I'll say, you know, um, scleroderma is, anytime you open a textbook, you read scleroderma is a vasculopathy characterized by progressive fibrosis and immune dysfunction. Well, let's break that sentence down and talk about what that Mm -hmm. means for you. So when we use the term vasculopathy, you know, opathy is an abnormality of the vasculature. That abnormality of the vasculature could be Raynaud's in you. It could be a digital ulcer. It could be renal crisis, or it could be pulmonary hypertension. And then I talk about how we would screen for each of those different, um, the different conditions and what we would do if they were present and how we would treat them. And the same I would do for fibrosis with skin and lung involvement and immune dysfunction, whether there's muscle inflammation or an arthritis and and i talked about these are these are the medications we have available and then what we would then do is um uh, talk about whether the medications that are available are current um something we can prescribe for them meaning is it fda approved or cost prohibitive and how we will navigate their care plan within their the the um their insurance plan, and um, so so some people um, can't afford some of the, the therapies that may be effective for furry nodes. Um, but how we will best keep them well with this treatment plan. And the same, uh, same um, approach I use with when uh, I get lots of calls from community rheumatologists and say, you know, well, sometimes the question is, I'm not sure if they have scleroderma. Do you mind taking a look at this patient? I think that's a very valuable um, uh, request, and, and I do caplaroscopy, so I say, absolutely bring the patient down and that's the best case scenario because if we can make an early diagnosis we can have that early conversation with the patient to empower them early I have other patients or other providers that will call and say I have a patient who's really very end stage disease I don't know if there's much we can do for them those also are really important conversations because um, we, we um, now uh, we had our first FDA approved drug for that slows the rate of decline for lung function sometimes those, those, um, those patients may be um, uh, candidates for for this uh, new drug that we could um, prescribe for their lung function, and it's a new drug. So community rheumatologists or, or community pulmonologists may not feel comfortable prescribing it. So we can help them get patients on these newer therapeutics as they become available. And then I think, um, you know, the value of... of um, you know, directing both providers and patients to the right good resources available is is a valuable communication with community rheumatologists and as well as as patients.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, Dr. Tracy Freck is a rheumatologist at the University of Utah. And as a reminder to our listeners, that website again is totalssc.com. That's T-O-T-A-L ssc.com. For more information on our own podcast, go to theconferenceforum.org. Dr. Freck, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone.